Welcome to Shake and Bake Cast. Today's guest is Emily Gruber Keck. Emily holds a doctorate in Renaissance drama from Boston University. She has acted in and directed plays by William Shakespeare, Ben Johnson, Thomas Middleton, Francis Beaumont, John Fletcher, and Thomas Decker. She is currently working on a book that examines food and hunger in Renaissance England. Emily knows more than any reasonable person should about 16th century corn markets, sheep husbandry, and laws regulating the weight of loaves of bread. And uh, we're so uh, anxious to talk to you about food and Shakespeare's time. Emily, welcome to Shake and Bake Cat. Thanks very much. Happy to be here again. What are some interesting facts about food in Shakespeare's time that you can share with us? I don't think we know that much, most of us. Um, yeah, of course. Um, I would say that most of the, the really interesting things um, about food are less about specific foods um, and more about the way that people ate and drank um, and the way that people thought and felt about food, you know? Um, so, for example, people were worried about the quality and price of their food at that point, just like we are right now. Um, you mentioned, I, I mean, part of my introduction uh, was that I, I know a lot about sort of laws regulating the price of bread. Um, that seems like kind of a silly thing, but that was something that people were actually really worried about. You know, if you paid a penny for a loaf of bread, how much bread were you getting? Um, uh, how much How much grain was actually in there? Um, oh, all right. So there are um, pamphlets that the government published during this time that that regulated that. Like for, for bakers, if you're selling a loaf of bread for a penny, it needs to weigh at least this much and it needs to have at least this much grain in it. Just kind of weird to think about. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I find really interesting about the period was how important it was for people to eat together. Um, Obviously, like some, some of that's still going on today, right? You know, the idea that we're sharing a table with our family um, kind of reinforces family bonds, you know? Right. Um, but then there was also this idea that people eating together, not just families, but whole um, households or, or large groups of people, that eating together at the same table sort of reinforced the social order in very, very important ways. Um, so there was a lot of emphasis placed on, like, hospitality and sharing food with guests um, and, uh, and making sure that everyone is sitting in the right spot at the table, because that was very, very important. Wow. Um, the other kind of interesting thing is um, people linked eating and drinking with a lot of different kinds of um, wants or, or appetites. Um, so, for example, the appetite for uh, power or, um, or greed for money, um, that was sort of linked with the appetite for food and drink, right? So they believed that, like, people who were especially greedy would also be especially hungry and would eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, love, it was also talked about as an appetite. Um, so the first... 
the very first line of Twelfth Night, right, is if music be the food of love, play on. Um, that's not just a figure of speech. Love was literally like people people felt love as like a physical hunger, like the hunger for food that, that sort of um, needed to be fed. Uh, yeah. That's really interesting. I understand... Uh, from another interviewee, uh, a Rose Playhouse archaeologist, that oyster shells, pipes, and tankards of ale have turned up in the, the pit of the what was the original Rose Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, what constituted fast food and takeout in the early modern period? Um, I mean, it was a, a more flexible concept, I think, than we have of fast food today. Um, so there were people selling food, um, at entertainments of various kinds, so they would sell things like nuts or, or fruit. Um, there were also stalls pretty much everywhere in London outside of the regular food markets. Um, so you could grab things like meat pies kind of on the move. <laughs> um, it's also It was also actually way more common to eat outside of the home than we might imagine, right? We think of that as like a more modern phenomenon. Oh, we're going out to eat at a restaurant. Um, But no, actually, um, a lot of people ate outside the home, especially in cities. Um, There were these, uh, this type of place called an ordinary, um, which essentially sold sort of fixed price meals. So you would have three penny ordinaries where you could get a meal for three pennies, um, or even one penny ordinaries where you could get a really bad meal for one penny. <laughs> um, and um, it was mostly men who went to these, but men had their their specific ordinaries, right? It, like their place um, where they were sort of regulars. Uh, and they would go and eat there kind of on a daily basis with usually the same group of people, like buddies. Um so there's a lot of references in plays of the time to, oh, I'm going to this, I'm going to my ordinary, right? Um, right. right. Like it was their, uh, their sort of home away from, from home. I'll be darned. That's really interesting. I want to speak, as, uh, talk for a minute specifically to the plays. The, the most notorious example of food in the Shakespeare play that I could think of was uh, Tamara and Titus Andronicus, oh, yeah. who's tricked into eating a pie yeah. containing morsels of her own sons. Uh, where else is food an interesting feature in Shakespeare? Um, well, I think Tamara is a cool example of how important meals are. Because um, it's not just like Tamara eating her sons, you know, alone at a table somewhere, right? <laughs> Um, everyone is kind of there. It's this big spectacle. Um, right. and meals come up a lot in the plays. They're, they're often locations where really important things happen. Um, and that goes back to this idea of the table as sort of this important place where the social order was reinforced. Um, okay. Okay. or, you know, the reverse, a place where the social order could be destroyed or upset. Um, or reflect um, upsets that had already happened, which I think is what's going on with Tamara, right? Tamara is sort of the person right. who's come in to, to corrupt Rome. Um, and 
that corruption is reflected back at her at this meal that she's forced to to take part in. Well, I can think of some other banquets now where the tables are kind of turned over and the order is yeah, disrupted. exactly, exactly. Um, like Macbeth is another really interesting banquet. Um, Duncan's ghost, or not Duncan's <laughs> banquet's ghost, um, shows up at a table for a reason, right? Right. right. Um, that's that's that table is sort of the the center of all of this, uh, this corruption that's going on in Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. and the fact that, that Duncan, or excuse me, Banquo, uh, keeps showing up at this table is just symbolic of that. Um, yeah. the Tempest is another sort of interesting meal gone awry, right? That's absolutely correct. Um, so, don't the shapes bring in a, a, the, the, the semblance of a banquet for the, uh, the, the treacherous uh, characters who worked against Prospero and the preceding yeah. play? Yeah, and then it all gets sort of taken away um, and destroyed right before their eyes. Um, right. this, this table that's being sort of torn apart is such a great image for the damage that these men have done to, to the way things are supposed to be, right? Um, right. So a well-set table is like, and, and sort of well-organized table um, with everybody sitting in their proper place is a really common image for the correct social order of the time. Um, but there's also a lot of interesting um, instances of, of eating and drinking. Um, Falstaff is maybe the most extreme <laughs> example yeah. of that. Um, I mean, he's a big eater, <laughs> right? Um, and it, it's, it's right. fun to watch him eat, right? That's part of the, the humor of the play. Um, and it would have been for for people at the time as well. Um, just seeing, I mean, it's a lot like eating contests today. They were sort of really impressed by people who could eat a lot of food. <laughs> um, there's actually, there's actually a reference to a guy who was known as the great eater of Kent. Um, who would literally, and that was really was, someone? Was a real person who would actually give performances where he would just go in and eat a lot of food and people would pay to watch him eat an obscene amount of food. <laughs> um, so, so I think there's some of that appeal in Falstaff too, right? It's just fun to kind of see how much he can, well, in his case, drink. How much he can eat and drink? Yeah, exactly. Um, but on the other hand, there's also a little bit of this thing going on where his um, his appetite is linked with how kind of greedy and, and selfish he is. Yes, um, so, so there's sort of two appetites at work there. Right, just his, like his appetite for food and drink, is sort of the visible symbol of these other "quote unquote" appetites that he that he has. Just uh, occurs to me as you say this that Sir Andrew Aguchi back to Twelfth Night uh, uh, kind of uh, 
contemplates that he's a great yeah. eater of beef and it's affected his yes. brain. <laughs> yes. Um, which, which is another great, and, and Sir Toby too, right? Like, it also has this fantastic appetite for, for drink. Um, right. And those are the most ridiculous characters in the play um, because they're, they're sort of, they're out for themselves. They're trying to make all of these things happen that don't really work with the way things are supposed to be organized in Illyria. Well, this has been so insightful. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about food and uh, banquets in Shakespeare's time and uh, shed light on those those topics. It's been a real pleasure well, talking to you. Thanks very much for having me. This was fun. Thank you.